There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There comes a bright morning in the late summer. When a politician journeys out to our house in the high hills and asks my sibling Gage and I to kill a god. We are still sleeping when they arrive. Two black vans kicking up dust across the long trail in the light of the late morning, pulling up to an abrupt halt just outside the gates of the compound. We stroll out to watch them in our dressing gowns and our slippers. Gage folds luxuriantly into the chair on the porch. I lean against the open doorway. A moment later, the van doors slide open and they come jumping out, one after the other, like clowns from a clown car. A dozen mean-looking professionals in the same cheap suit who line up with their hands crossed over their crotches, firearms visible in their shoulder holsters, making no move towards the house. Hard to say just yet whether that means they can see the bear traps we've laid to keep out intruders, buried in the dust just a few fragile paces ahead of them. Or perhaps they're just lucky. And the politician from the legislatures comes stepping out after them, wiping the sweat from their brow. Perhaps they're not so watchful, or they're not so lucky, because they take a step forwards, hands on hips, as if to show us that they're the one in charge of all of this. The politician says something stupid, like, Ah, <coughs> uh, good morning. People often don't know what to make of Gage and I. They start thinking, can we really be as young as we look? Young, wild, gangly things, ragged and filthy, living amongst the bones. Shouldn't we be in school? Maybe college? Shouldn't someone be taking care of us? What precisely happened to the people who were supposed to be taking care of us? They don't know whether to condescend to us or stand well clear of us. My name is Shrew. I'm the adjudicator for this territory. <laughs> Landslide election, as it happens. Um, I've come to secure your services. I'm, um, I'm told you can hunt just about anything. We're not interested. Not yet. Government contractors pay well, but they have a lot of rules they want you to follow, and the quarry is always dull, offering unworthy trophies for the beast that stalks in the long grass. A wild pig, or a short-faced bear, or a desperate poacher that's been picking off deer in one of their properties. But we are, at least, entertained. 
Will you come out and speak with me? We can hear you fine from here. I said, I heard that you can hunt. Yes, that's true, Politico. If it walks, swims, or flies, Gage and I can track it for you. If it bears skin and flesh, we can bring you its pelt. You've got eyes, don't you? Look at the trophies over the gate. Uh, yes. Very fine. Think the politician's about to vomit? I might put the coffee on. Sure, we'll get to the point in an hour or two. My friends, my friends! Um, I hear... I hear you can hunt gods. A god's no different from any other thing that feeds, in principle. You lure it, or you goad it. You find the right place to drive the blade in. And the wounds you make, they split and bleed and fester, even though they're made of people. Might not see a pelt, though. We've not hunted a god for a government client before. And hunting god means killing man, as an inevitability. What are the terms of the contract? I have the authority to negotiate payment on your terms. I... I was told you'd be expensive. First sharp thing that's been said all day. As well as financial compensation, I can offer you munitions and resources to meet your needs. A platoon of legislature soldiers, under your command. If you succeed on your first contract, the arrangement can be extended. Hear that? We get our own toy soldiers. So long as you prove yourselves useful, there's almost nothing that we can't be amenable to. Would you like some time to discuss this between yourselves? No, no, there's no need. My sister and I are of one mind. I'll take Mercer's opinion. Hmm. Well, you've done it with every other damn thing. May as well privatize your killing. Splendid! I am truly looking forward to- The politician takes a step forwards, and the bear trap erupts, kicking up dust its feet snapping shut on nothing. They tumble back into the dirt, shrieking and gasping, eyes wide with abject and clownish terror as their people come rushing forwards to retrieve them. Engage and I? Our laughter splits the sky. Summer passes, and winter comes, and it's snowing across the peninsula for the first time in a decade. Hell of a sight. This incredible, drifting white snow set against the polluted violet sky. And my sibling Gage and me, we're riding into this peat cutter's town. What was it called? I suppose it doesn't matter anymore. Low hill-lock houses of gray brick stooped into the bog flats to protect against the strong winds. A town hall. A kind of hunched church crouching amongst the grand and twisted roots of a crimson lantern tree. A place that survived and grown hardy here for a very long time without ever once beginning to thrive. 
The soldiers lead the approach. Three armored jeeps, packed full. Our platoon were polished. Once. Our bad habits have worn off on them during our time together. But despite their shabbiness, despite the hunting trophies hung about their throats and shoulders, and the black mark of the beast that stalks in the long grass upon their helmets, these soldiers, they still give off a certain grand impression. Like a parade coming in. Mercer and I, we ride along behind them on our horses, long rifles slung across our saddles, lazy and unkempt, like the gestures following the king's procession. We dress in the things we kill, in sallow bone and in bloodied rough fur. We accept the beast that stalks with gratitude into ourselves. Mercer's hood is topped with a goat skull, mine with the skull of a dog. And as we get close, the old air raid sirens begin to howl, and the townsfolk come running out of their homes, in from the peat fields, to wave and goggle and shout hurrah at the troops' processions as it comes rolling in. They must think that the war has started, or maybe they assume we're simply marching through this inconsequential place to get to somewhere that matters. There's a maypole in the center of the village, a stout carved thing topped with the icon of a thick waddling mass, and as the jeeps pull in and Sergeant Kipiris shouts for the men to assemble, an old priest comes running out in thick robes cowled with sheets of turf, bidding us welcome in the name of the Meyer Hag. Kiparos will pretend that he's conducting some kind of official census. He takes notes from the priest. How many farmers are there in the village's outskirts? Are there any worshippers who've left home? Gage and I, we don't bother trying to talk to these people. What would we even have to say to them? That a senior member of the local courts, a key ally of adjudicator Shrew, intends to use these lands for grouse shooting? And to cultivate grouse, you need to burn the peat. And to burn the peat, you need a god of fire to work its will unimpeded and without contest. How would they be able to understand that position? Besides, it isn't really about what they believe. It's about what they remember. When Keeperos is satisfied, he walks back towards us gives us an assenting nod. The troops line up quickly in two long rows across the village square. And we stay where we are, on the outskirts, watching from the saddle. Gage carries a bone flute. I carved it for them. They heft it to their lips and blow. First runner. Mine. 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 Mine again. We are good shots, Mercer and I. We hunt clean. 
It doesn't take longer than it has to. But a moment later, once the shooting stops and the bodies have fallen, it's our own soldiers in the village square who begin to shout. In panic and in anger, because the old priest has somehow scampered back into the safety of his church in all the confusion, locking himself in from the inside. They begin hammering on the doors with their boot heels and the butts of their rifles, because whatever he's gone in there to do, it'd be in all our interest to stop him before it's too late. They're too late. When the Meyer priest comes out, he comes out changed, shattering the wood to smithereens. Stooping through the threshold, a vast and cumbersome shape, his skin darkening and rippling like ancient peat bursting forth beneath a cutter's terskill, veins of rancid sphagnum moss pulsing about his bulging arms. A human face, still visible, wide-eyed, and no longer in control, from deep within his chest. As the Pete Saint walks, its footsteps shed dirt. It picks up one soldier in a colossal hand. Timps, his name was. He struggles, briefly. A few gasps, a couple of feeble kicks, as a molten peat flows outwards, oozing over his skin, searing and burning as it goes. He dies quickly, but when the body falls, it's as wrinkled and tanned and haggard as any corpse that's lain beneath a bog for a thousand years. The peat saint marches on. Mercer and I reach for our satchels. We find the bottle grenades slopping with thick liquid. Another man is already screaming and writhing beneath the beast's embrace. We light the stuffed rags, and we charge. The peat saint flails and stampedes and burns. Our soldiers scurry back and forth to places of safety in the village square, avoiding its increasingly clumsy and desperate movements. We encircle it and light our bottles, and we torch it again. Eventually, it falls, still blazing. Its vast form crumbles, collapsing into earth. After that, there is nobody left to stop us, and we can begin the work at our leisure. We've killed maybe a dozen gods at this point. Illegal deities, forsaken deities, and merely the unfortunate. The movements come easy by now. We hack down the maypole, splinter the carvings into fragments. We torch the texts, smash the stained glass windows inside the church. Where there are prayer marks carved into stone, we extinguish their meanings, scraping our own meandering lines and shapes to obscure the original pattern. Nobody who comes this way will be able to make sense of this. The homes and the bodies we burn until there's nothing left but trophies and carrion. And then, 
Once all memory of the Meyer hag has been removed from existence, we make our own marks. Mercer and I daub the quarry blood across each other's face, our teeth bright and our eyes laughing as we praise our god and claim his prizes. After that, we move on. These are the Silt Verses, and I name our disciples thus, in order of their appearance. Daphne Mitsuga, J.V. Hampton Van Sant, Sarah Griffin, Jamie Stewart, and B. Nar. Written by John Ware and produced by Muna Husen. Audio design by Sammy Holden. Gage, wake up. What what time is it? Nearly dawn. Just had a call come in from Shrew. We need to head east. We're wanted for another job. We just finished the last one. We're owed a proper break. We won't be getting it. It's a fresh quarry, Gage. Something we haven't hunted before. Mm, it can wait. It can't. Rouse yourself. This one's going to be fun. I promise you. We're going to kill a river god. Brethren, brethren, to order, please. Troll a man of tide and flesh, father in the water. You are the mouth devouring and the mouth returning. You stand tall at the high tide and crawl on your belly at the low tide. Upon this day, we, your chosen faithful, offer your body and spirit in the hope of the bountiful catch in the cleansing current from the wellspring to the sea. For the benefit of our newest arrivals, welcome. My name is Catabasian Mason, and I have the privilege of overseeing our disciples in the field. If you are fortunate, and if you prove yourselves, you may one day be picked to join them. Uh, there's always one brave soul who leaves the bottle of vintage schnapps upon my desk to win my favour in this matter. And while I appreciate the gesture, I'm sorry to say that I cannot be swayed. But please do feel free to try your luck, of course. For today's lesson, I'd like to try and convey a little about the history of this place. The Paraclete's Gulch was, after all, built as a haven some 400 years ago, her corridors and stairways buried deep into the side of the canyon, hidden from sight, her lowest basements dipping into the waters of the Trollman's River. This place is a fortress carved out of rock over the course of long centuries by the sacred tides themselves, a meaningful reconsecration our coming here, given how our numbers have grown these past few months. Some of you have joined us as fresh converts. Others have come seeking refuge, victims of the fresh indignities carried out by the lawful authorities against our kin. 
They cannot stand our victories against them. Pride and spite drive them on to persecute us. They will not stop. Hard times are coming for all of us. But we must remember that the trawler man has provided us with miracles countless times before in our very moment of need, and he will provide again. I will reiterate, anyone caught listening to the news broadcasts will be severely punished, as will latecomers to my sermons. Wait outside, I'll deal with you once I'm finished. Who stands without? Who's there, I said? Brother Faulkner, disciple of the parish of Tide and Flesh, prophet of the Trawler Man, bearer of the Withermark. I apologize for my intrusion, Catabasian Mason, but I have traveled a long road to get here, and I am weary, and my feet no longer have the strength to carry me. As I said, my friends, the trawler man is a god of wonders. Brother Faulkner, safely returned to us. Brethren, call for the doctor. See to him. Bring him to my study just as soon as he's fit to stand. <sighs> well, you sold me a faulty product, my boy. What's that? The Withermark. It didn't work. We sent a disciple out into the field months ago to test it in person. He tried a dozen variations based on your instructions. Nothing happened. Hmm. And you're, uh, certain in his faith? It's possible I might have misremembered the finer details of the prayer. Do you think you might remember again, given time and sufficient space to reflect? Again, it's possible. You know, the last time we spoke, Faulkner, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, the phone cut out. <laughs> cut out? Yes, it was a very bad line, and it cut out unexpectedly. I remember that it deeply upset me at the time, our conversation ending so prematurely, because we'd just begun to discuss your future here at the parish. A very bright and certain future. Those were my words. You were, as I remember it, about to tell me what you wanted. Ah. Uh. I want to seat at the inner table. I want to be named as a Catabasian with everything that entails. At your age, with your inexperience, it's quite unprecedented. So am I, as a prophet of the river. You know, when you catch your breath, you'll have to tell me precisely what that means. It's not a comfortable place, that inner table. 
There have been some in the past who achieved the Catabasian's rank before they were ready, mistaking their own clumsy, temporary good fortune for talent. Invariably, they came to a very bad end. Perhaps an honorary seat would be appropriate, given your achievements in the field. And my own clutch to serve under me? Oh, initiates will be assigned to you. Once everything's been officially confirmed, and once the vote has passed. And I want a good room. I'm not sharing again. You'll have your own private chambers, of course. In fact, we can seize that now, if you're ready. I'm sure you're exhausted by all the excitement. Come, follow me. The gulch can be difficult to navigate. I'm certain we've lost more than one meandering acolyte in these stairwells. There should be towels in the bathroom, and hot water as well. I'll have breakfast sent up as soon as it's ready. There's an intercom on the far wall if you need anything else. Oh, and there's a radio, if you want to hear what's going on in the outside world. You'll also have a visit from a transcriptionist shortly. Uh, uh, uh sorry, did you say transcriptionist? Oh, naturally. To record your achievements in the field, to be considered for inclusion in the next edition of the verses. I really should have asked, what precisely became of Sister Carpenter? I know we both had some worries about her. She died loyal. Good. She came from a storied line of our people. It would have been quite embarrassing if she'd strayed. I'll leave you to it. And so I win. When breakfast comes, it's grander than I could have expected. A broad bowl full of steaming kedgeree, popping hot and the choice parts of the fish, all flesh and no skin. To test the limitations of my welcome here, I call them up afterwards and tell them I want chocolate. Chocolate bars like the ones back home, and there's not even a moment of hesitation before they tell me yes. Of course, brother. We can do that for you. <laughs> when the transcriptionist comes to my chambers, an old bespectacled woman hauling a massive and no doubt sacred notebook upon her back, with B-rows tucked into her sleeves... She takes her seat amongst the discarded wrappers. 
she listens to the beginning of the story the way I tell it, and nods respectfully, and then reads it right back. I'm asked to deliver a sermon upon the next day of the dead saint. My performance is halting, even I know that. But they invite me back again, and again, and over time the nerves begin to drift away. I'm assigned people to fetch and carry when I tell them to fetch and carry. It's made very clear to me that I'm going to have everything I need from this moment on. It's lonely, still. A different kind of loneliness. The young disciples in their pauper shifts bow deep and clasp their hands when they see me, and then they hurry away as fast as seems polite. There are eyes always upon me, from every corner of the stairwell and every vaulted window of the gulch. And then, months later, he sends for me again. Mason? Catabasian? Mason? This way, Faulkner. It's dark down here. It needs to be. You'll see why presently. A sacrificial chamber and an experiment. Quite a unique one, really. The river washes in through the sluice gates feeding these drowning tanks. After we've moved back in here, Catabasian Feg had the idea of installing furnaces to heat the currents as they flow inwards, saltwater filters. His thought was that we might be able to alter the composition of the sacred waters to see the isolated impact upon the sacrifices that were made here. Come close and watch. We just put in a fresh one this morning. The vast tank glints faintly in the darkness. It reflects Mason's rounded spectacles as he watches me. I take a step forward, uncertain, and for a moment, it occurs to me that I have surely been brought here to be drowned. And then, before us, something strange and wondrous drifts into view. The sacrifice's body is limp and shrunken. Its boots, still wrapped in heavy chains, kick faintly against the glass. Above it, guiding it through the water, is a great glowing blue bell of flesh, tendrils dangling beneath it, emitting an uncanny violet light. The jellyfish turns on itself as it drifts in the water. And that's when I see the human face, stretched and taut, its eyes still goggling across the surface of the bell. Sacred hooks have been driven through the luminescent tissue here and there. Its mouth is still opening and closing, the water seeping in and out, faintly whispering, 
familiar words of prayer. It's... It's a man of war. An ocean sight? It's a radical thought, isn't it? And yet it's also incredibly apt. All waters are one water, the silt verses teach us. In time, perhaps our river's reach could stretch across the seas themselves. Does this manner of experimentation not uh, risk diluting our understanding of the trawler man? What he is? What he stands for? We grow or we die, Faulkner. There is no third option. Who was he? (laughs) Don't worry. Not one of us. No sign of the Withermark yet? I've been in recovery all this time. Recovering well. Hmm. Well, perhaps these simply aren't the right conditions for you to remember. The record keepers were kind enough to share the first draft of your submission with me. It's very good. And at the water's edge, Carpenter turned to her companion. Leave me now, Faulkner, she cried. Bear our message home to the trawler man's people. They must hear that the river has answered our prayers and served you and I with sacred truth. Bear that message hence and I shall bear our God's wrath down upon these long-forsaken souls. I have to confess I'm a little jealous. I knew poor Sister Carpenter from a very young age, and yet I don't ever recall her speaking to me with such grandiloquence. (laughs) It's a special kind of knowing someone, isn't it? When you're stuck on the road together for all those long days and nights. Oh, believe me, I know. I've carried out my fair share of pilgrimages into the Lost Territories. None quite as successful as yours, however. Our numbers have swelled since the miracle at Bellwethers, it's true, but in other ways we've lost nearly as much. Ground, resources, inside intelligence, these things take a toll. But there is, I have to say, a real change in the air since you arrived here. A kind of excited anticipation. A great many eyes are upon you. And as your patron, a great many eyes are upon me as well. I'm glad to hear it. There are other false faith gods of the water worshipped across the peninsula. Sea gods like the brine-soaked rack. Rain gods like the endless drear. If we're going to withstand the renewed assaults upon our faith by the lawful authorities, assaults which have come fairly directly as a result of your heroic efforts upon the road with Sister Carpenter, we will need additional bodies. We'll require these misguided souls to understand that their so-called gods are merely minor aspects of our own, since our power is so demonstrably greater than theirs. We must claim them as allies of the Trawlerman, in other words. So, I'm sending you back out into the field. Isn't that good news? You and your new clutch, you can meet them as soon as you're ready. They're eager, but green, as you once were, and I'm sure they can learn from your example. It's a 
together you'll visit the haunts of these false faiths and you'll show them that their attentions will be better turned towards our God's embrace. You want me to go back out into the world and convert the faithless? Correct. What about... What about the Catabasians, Rank? It'll be ready and waiting for you, just as soon as you return. Catabasian Mason... There's no one better suited. You're an inspiration to our people, Faulkner. A miracle maker. A prophet. The trawler man has acted through you, spoken through you. He delivered the Withermark to you, didn't he? Which means he'll do it again. When the moment is right, I have absolute faith in him. It could be, of course, that there's some trivial element from your story which you'd like to recant. No, not a thing. Then it's settled. I'll make the arrangements. Come, schnapps for us both. May you continue to prove yourself to us, dear boy. And let us pray that dear Sister Carpenter has found that final peace in the garden below the waters which she always lacked in life. <sighs> Drowning in earth is different to drowning in water. You don't drift. You can't truly struggle. You're hemmed in, caught in place as the dirt packs in around you. You feel the immense weight of it hemming you in on all sides. And every time you push upwards, there's a fleeting glimpse of hope, an instant of lightness, of pressure giving away before more dirt piles in to fill the space that was left behind. <sighs> And then, quite unexpectedly, that great weight is lifted. And as I open my eyes and the dazzling white light fills my vision, I can just make out a figure, vague and shifting, the very picture of that same looming veiled spectre that wrapped me up in its long fingers, thrust me downwards and buried me deep beneath the soil. I don't hesitate. I punch it in the face. Oh.